Welcome to the Gap Church Podcast, where we're filling the gap through freedom and the truth. Please enjoy this week's message. Privileged to be here. My name is Minister Lolliday, one of the ministers here at the Gap Church, and it's an honor to be here. And of all time to come up here and come back is on this series. It's okay. We're going to do it. But amen, amen. And just a few reminders. We are in the series... Scars, cars, cars, and remember our culture code. What is our major culture culture code for this series? And what? Sensitive and safe. So I want to indulge us real quick. We have a guest today, but I want to just give a little bit of instructions. I have forty something minutes. We're going to be up here. Please do me a little favor. Pay attention. Um. It might be uncomfortable, but just for 40 minutes. After 40 minutes, you can do whatever you want to do. But 40 minutes, please. If you need to drop your phones, drop your phones. Please, I would also indulge media and everyone on the back. Let's reduce walking around. Ushers, please, let's reduce walking around. Um, We're being very sensitive. We're being very safe. We're also being a community for people here. You might not feel like you have anything, you know, that you, you might feel like you're good, but there are people who really need these conversations. And the way we human work is that when things start to get to, you know, we close up. So please, let's pay attention. Let's drop our phones. If you need to just get a paper in case your phone is going to distract you, put it on airplane mode. Whatever you need to do, let's do it, not for yourself, but also for your neighbor. Amen. All right. So um, this morning, I am not by myself. <laughs> I'm happy about that. I am not by myself this morning. Um, I have, I'm going to be inviting our guests. We do have a therapist because I am not a therapist. I'm an IT person. So <laughs> please don't come and ask me for one-on-one. I'm not a therapist. Um, but we, we know that these are conversations that need to be had. And since we don't have the resources, we've taking our time to reach out to people that are the resource. And so we have a therapist in the house, and I'm just going to read his bio real quick, even as we invite him up here. But, and also, we are also a house that what? Honors. Amen? All right. So we have Damani Anderson in the house. Um, and wait, I know you want to honor. Let me finish. Don't worry, we're going to honor him very well. But he is a seasoned professional with a profound commitment to community service and the well-being of individuals and families. Uh, He is, um, his journey began with the pursuit of a bachelor's degree in social work at Clark Atlanta University in 2012 an institution renowned for its black historical significance. Over the span of the next decade, Damani undertook pivotal roles, including serving as a child abuse investigator for the Fulton County Department of Family and Children's Services, Atlanta, Georgia, and talent search pre-college advisor for the Boys and Girls Club of Fort Worth, in addition to being a 10-plus-year mentor for the Big Brother, Big Sister Program of America. 
Recognizing the transformative power of building relationships and fortifying family bonds, the man's understanding was deepened by his unwavering faith and relationship with God. Following a decade of dedicated service and a personal loss in 2029, um, sorry, 2009, the man discovered a calling towards the intersection of family dynamics and mental health. This realization led him to pursue a master in marriage and family therapy from Abilene Christian University in, and graduated in May 2023, currently holding the title of Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Associate. The money brings a wealth of expertise and insight to his current position as a therapist with the Relationship Clinic in Dallas, Texas. And in October 2023, Damani embarked on a new chapter by launching his brand, My Big Black Therapist. Rooted in his life experiences, this brand aims to normalize diverse attributes and challenge implicit biases surrounding race and size within our culture. His goal is to be a representation of God, life, love, and pursuit of healthy emotional intelligence, fostering a safe environment for individuals seeking support. Beyond his professional accomplishment, the money is a happily married man of seven years to his wife, Dr. Stefani Oji Anderson, who is actually a first grade Ni- American Nigerian. So she's a Nigerian. She's a Nigerian. I don't know that you're a Nigerian. Um, and a devoted father of two beautiful daughters, a, little, um, a former, see, Nigerian, and um, Kamara Nina. When, whether working with individuals, families, couples, or children, the man remains steadfast in his role as a voice of encouragement and direction, dedicated to facilitating positive change one step at a time. So, the Gap Church, let us welcome our guest and therapist for today, Demarni Anderson. All right, all right, all right. A big black therapist right there. Welcome, welcome. You please be seated. Thank you so much. Um, and I'll also be taking my seat. Wanted to really look like a therapist. So welcome to therapy session two. Um, make sure you pay out there, just right outside. You see, um, get one fifty. Thank you. All right. Um, welcome to therapy. Like I said, session two, and today we're going to be having conversations. And like I said earlier at the beginning of, you know, before we welcomed our guest, let us be sensitive. Um, let us be attentive um and let us also connect make sure we're connecting um get your notes we're gonna have real conversation honest conversation um we're gonna be as real and raw as possible the goal is to be whole and that's remember our first sunday we had talked about that to be whole so welcome um, mr damani anderson um Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. There we go. Oh, wow, thank you so much. All right, okay, so real quick today, like I said, we're going to be talking about something not spoken but very applicable. Um, If you're writing, our topic today is open wounds. And I put in a bracket, I thought I was over it. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought I was over it. And so, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but I, we made sure that everything we've spoken about is backed up by the scripture. Um, and so we're going to also be reading the scripture today, and I'm going to do our best with our time that we have left. And so this is how I'm going to start this story of this conversation today. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 13, from verse 25 to 30, Amplified Classic. Matthew 13, from verse 25 to 30. For some of us, we already know this story. It's the parable. Um, but some, for those who don't know, we're just going to go through it real quick. The Bible says, but while it was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed also down on weeds resembling wheat among the wheat, among the wheat, and went on his way. So when the plant sprouted and formed grain, the darnel weeds appeared also. And the servants of the owner came to him and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have darnel shoots in it? He replied to him, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, then do you want us to go and weed them out? But he said, no, least in gathering the wild weed, wheat, weeds resembling wheat, you root up the true wheat along with it. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I would say to the reapers, gather the darnel first and bind it in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my granary. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your time when we're going to have conversations, tough conversations, but real conversations. Holy Spirit, we pray let our hearts be receptive of this word. Father, we ask that you would summon our voice and our bodies as a vessel, God, that you might use it for your glory. Father, we step out of the equation. It's not about us, but Father, it's that everything will reveal Jesus Christ. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And so for some of us, um, I'm sure you are wondering how this story applies to open wounds. And so that's what I asked when the Holy Spirit took me here. And, but what the Holy Spirit was teaching me from this story is that a lot of us, we, were, we are like the seeds at the beginning. When we were young, multiple seeds were being planted into us. Both the seed, the good seed, and the bad seed. But then it, the Bible recorded here that they did not know that two different types of seed has been planted because they looked very familiar until it got to a point where the, 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 those that are taking care of the lands came to the farmer and said, okay, sir, I think something is wrong because this is not what we put there. There's something else growing with the seeds. And, but then at that moment, it was impossible to take it away because he said, what if I remove the good seed with the bad seed? We have to wait for our season. And the Holy Spirit said, said to me, he said, for a lot of us, when we were young, <clears throat> the multiple things were being grown inside of us. And it is literally hard for us to take it out maybe at age 10 or at age 15 because now our identity is tied to both things. And he said, we, some of us have to wait to the point of harvest to know, oops, that is not right. Oops, I don't think that should be in part of me. That should not be my identity. He said, but for a lot of us, that might be too late because the weeds might have taken more nutrients than the actual seed. And so my first question to you is, how do you recognize the tears? And why is it important to recognize it early enough? Thank you, thank you. Um, before I begin, I, I, I always like to start off with 
and encouragement from everybody because I, I love energy, y'all. I need the energy. So I want y'all to repeat that to me. I am somebody. Somebody. Because God made me somebody. Because God made me somebody. Let's say that again. And I really want y'all to internalize these words. It's a very simple sentence, but I want y'all to internalize it. I am somebody. I am somebody. Because God made me somebody. Because God made me somebody. Okay, amen, amen. Okay, here we go. So, how do you recognize the tears and why is it important? Um, thank you. This was when she was. When we were discussing this, I was like, girl, I just need time because you are speaking to my life. And um, in this text, there's one specific part. Uh, if you go over to uh, Matthew, I believe, uh, 13, 27, 28. Um, when the servants reported to the farmer that there were, there were uh, seeds and there were other things in the ground, the first thing he said was the enemy. He called out the enemy. That's a key concept in this scripture here. When we're dealing with traumas, when we're dealing with issues in our life, we have to call out the enemy. We have to pay attention to what it is. Too many times we accept things for what it is. Um, we don't acknowledge it. And as a culture, sometimes we adopt our trauma as a rite of passage in life. Like in order for me to be this person, I had to go through some things. I had to go through these things and we adopt it as I'm making it, I'm getting it out of the ground, I'm doing what I gotta do. Um, instead of acknowledging the trauma, sometimes we ignore it and act like it never happened. We walk around as if life is great and God has blessed me and everything is great, I'm good. But we don't pay attention and we don't even acknowledge it, we try to just gloss it over. Um, and at times we even blame our trauma on our own toxic behaviors. <laughs> um, not attempting to repair or change anything at all. Like, you know, the reason why I'm like this is because my daddy left me. My daddy wasn't in my life, so I'm, I can do what I got to do. Something happened to me, and I can be this type of person. So it's very key for us to be able to acknowledge it. It's important to recognize that these tears uh, and these weeds, um, so that you can understand who you are and realize the enemy. Um, as it no longer myself who does it, but it's the sin in me, Romans 7, 17. So uh, as we continue to go through this, I, have a, I just wrote down a couple of questions I want y'all to think about when we're talking about the tears and things in our lives. So uh, do you struggle with high anxiety? Have you battled with or do you battle with depression? Do you struggle with trusting and developing deep, meaningful relationships? Have you picked up on any type of substance abuse habit? Uh, do you struggle with regulating your emotions or have any outbursts when feeling overwhelmed? Do you struggle for not being in control? All of these are wars that we wrestle with internally and have a direct connection to. And the very first, um, this, this is a direct correct connection to the very first relationship that we have, which is with our parents. So, um, and just for a quick, for a quick uh, point, I'll just use myself in this example. Um, I was born in Georgia. I was raised by my grandparents. My mother um, wasn't in my life. Oh, and I'm sorry, my father wasn't in my life at that time. My mother was in my life, but um, I would visit her during the summers. And I struggled with feeling loved and appreciated. In my mind, my mother took care of me three months out of the year. My father didn't really, wasn't really there in my mind in that, in that time. That was my mindset. My father didn't care. And in relationships, I sought after those who needed help because I like to be praised and I like to feel appreciated. 
So that was, that was one of my tears. And that's why it was important for me to realize it because it wasn't until I became an adult until I realized like, hey, I follow different things because of different people and, and I'm, I'm trying to feed something in me that I didn't address or I didn't acknowledge when I was a child. That's good. It said it got to a point when it was an adult. For a lot of us, where it's when you have to make that important decision that you realize that, oops, I think something is wrong with me. It's, um, you know, we're definitely going to talk more about it, but many a times we've done a great job pushing these things inside of us. We kept telling our body, keep it for me. I can address it now. Keep it for me. I'm too busy. Keep it for me. I should be fine. And then one day your body's like, there's no space. I can't keep it anymore. And so just that little, oh, I don't think you should have done it that way. And then you have, you've lost it. And, you just, and you're like, I just had a sentence. Your body's been keeping it. But he said something very particular, and we didn't talk about this, but the Holy Spirit brought it to me this morning. And I want us to talk about transgenerational trauma. And I'm going to take a scripture from Genesis 48, from verse 8, um, and then 14 to 19. Verse 8, the Bible says, when Israel, um, actually NLT, verse 8, it says, then Jacob looked over the two boys, at this year's sons, he asked. Skip to 14. And the Bible said, um, and Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boy's head. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Um, and then he gave him blessing. And then take me all the way to 17. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know. But Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater. And when I read this, I thought to myself, Jacob was multiplying what had happened in his own life. Because every blessing Jacob would give at that moment would stick because he was about to die and he was their grandfather. And so the same thing that happened when there was a switch between Jacob and Esau, Es was ordained, but that of Manasseh and Ephraim was spoken over their life, was not ordained. And so the Holy Spirit now brought something back to me. Growing up, um, personal story, my mom had a very bad relationship with friends growing up. And so all the time when we were younger, she would always tell me, friends are not good. Friends are not good. Friends are not good. I did never had my own encounter with friends, but I expected to have bad encounters with friends. And for sure, I got my bad encounter. And so I want to talk about transgenerational trauma because many a time, some of the things that we have become is as a result of communication from our parents. Yes, it happened to them, but now they're making sure that it happens to us as well to affirm what they have been through to make it seem like it should happen that way so you should continue. So how do you address, you know, how, how common is it and how do we really address it? Transition, transgenerational trauma is extremely common within the community. Um, <clears throat> it's, learn, it's considered learned behavior. You pick up on things and you only know what is given to you. So even in examples or even when you think about hurt, when you hurt, and if you, well, hold on, here we go. Relationships. When you have a relationship with someone, 
how do how do you how do you have trust? How do you gain trust? How do you understand if you like that person or how do you understand if you can fully trust that individual? What ways is there to do that? How do you learn that? You learn that from your very first relationship. And and within the first four years of life, those are the pivotal moments in which children learn how to handle relationships. So that's why it's very important for children to see parents love one another. It's very important for children to see uh, your mother and father getting, getting along or having conversations or even being transparent about things that's going on in their lives. These are things as a culture we don't do. And what happens is we adopt the unannounced things in life and we highlight those things as a part of our life. So because my mother never said she loved me, I don't find it important to say it. But yet for me, it hurts. But I don't now, I don't even know how to say that to my child. I don't even know how to say that to my significant other. And the cycle just continues to go over and over and over again because we can tie it right back to recognizing that trauma at the very beginning. Understanding that, hey, why is it that we don't speak this way? Why is it that we have these type of relationships? Why is it that I can't be my full self around my parents? Why do I have to put on a presentation to this? Why am I battling against my cousins in terms of grades and in terms of trying to become the most successful person? What are these things? Who, who, who said that was normal? Who said that is a way of life? So being able to look intrinsically at yourself is a way to combat that. But when it comes down to transgenerational trauma, it's just a part of our part of life because we don't acknowledge it. We don't say anything about it. You think about it's situations where you have somebody who is an uncle of the, of the family and something happened to that particular uncle in which he may have accosted or done something to a child. Nobody says anything about it. So then their daughter or somebody, a woman grows up and their daughter has this issue and then nothing is said because it was never addressed as a child for me. So why, should, why is that an important issue? Why is that something that I have to deal with? Because I know my baby's going to be strong because I'm going to keep, keep him away, but I'm not going to call out the uncle. I'm not going to say anything to that person because as a generation, as a family, we learn to keep stuff in-house and we learn to respect our elders first. And, not, and we can't, as children, we can't question or we can't say anything about it. So when we become adults, we become silent. And guess what happens? It starts all over again. The same concept. So, wow. You know, and as you were saying that, you know, I wanted, I just want to bring up something because I know a lot of us, when we hear trauma and all of these things in your mind, you're thinking, I don't have anyone, no one beat me up. Like, I don't, no one touched me the wrong way. But you've spent all your life trying to please your parents, not pleasing yourself. You don't even know what you want because since you were born, they've told you you're going to be a doctor. And so you're going to be a doctor. You know, for, for you and your siblings have been at this great war for a very long time. You love them, but you just want to get a better grade. It's, you know, my parents just say some things, but it's just because they're angry. That's African parents. That's how they do. Your trauma does not have to be someone is, you know, sexual abuse. It's so much more than that. 
It's, it comes in so many different ways. Trauma is something that should not be, that is a given against the culture that Jesus has set for us, not the culture that our parents have set for us. Because their culture was formed from trauma. It's the culture. Is this, Bible says love is kind. Is this kind to me? Love is patient. Is this patient to me? Love is long-suffering. Do they stand by me? Are they faithful? If all of these things are not there, that's not the culture. Because our culture is love. Let's keep going. And I want to point out something real quick. Because one thing I, you know, I personally dealt with in my journey through everything I'd been through was I, I started feeling like there's something I did. I must have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Said the wrong things. Um, maybe I, I did something to attract that person. Or I should not always, why am I always in the room with the opposite sex? Don't be there because you're there, that happened. But the Holy Spirit gave me multiple verses. So we're just gonna go through as fast as possible because of our time. That proves to us that it is not you, it's the enemy. You are in this world. That's the only offense that you committed. That you're in this world. So I'm going to go through real quick. Psalm 34 verse 19. The Bible says the righteous person faces many troubles. The righteous person. Right standing. The believer faces many troubles. But the Lord comes to rescue when? Each time. Romans 8.35. I need you guys to thank you. 35, and the Bible says, I'm fine, it says, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, because trouble is going to happen. Not hard time, because hard time is going to happen. Not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing. Next one. To point the finger, yes, to the one who died for us, who was raised to life, Oh, no, yeah, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate us. We're sitting dogs, they pick us, pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced. Give me John 16, 33. And everything I've taught you so that you know, so that the peace which is in you will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will what? Experience trouble and sorrows. But you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Psalm 119 verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statute. John 10, 10, that's the last one. The thief has only one thing in mind. He has no other work. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to slaughter. And he wants to destroy. That, the only offense you've committed is to be in this world. That's it. So it's not that you did anything else because you're in this world. And I want us to understand something. Pain is not part of the plan God has for you. He takes it and he uses it in the plan. That's why the Bible says all things work together for good. It, it, you are in that situation, and so God says, okay, this is happening like Jesus being an alternative for what Adam, and, or being the, the fix of what Adam did. He's like, okay, because this has happened, I love this person. 
I died for this person. So I'm going to take this situation and I'm going to make them better for it. So it's not my journey because I have to go through pain as that's the cycle of life. No. He takes it and he uses it. Amen. So I wanted us to just have that reminder because we're going to talk about the healing process. But I want us to have that understanding that the, everything that you've gone through under the word trauma wasn't anything you did. Has not, it, wasn't, it was the enemy. The man said in Matthew 12, um, 13 that we read, an enemy has done this. So I want us to quickly go into the healing process. And I'm just going to ask, why is healing important in trauma? Why is it important that I actually start taking that step to be whole and complete? Okay, thank you. So um, here's an example. When you look at the body, uh, there are many different parts of the body. And if one part is weaker or if one part starts to hurt, then the other parts of your body attend to that. Let's use, this happened to every single one of us. We walk around the house having a good old time and we get near that dresser and we stub our toe. That does not feel good. What happens? The first thing you do, you may say something that's unholy. Let's be honest. But your hand, your body attends to that toe. It grabs the toe. It looks at it. It makes sure it ain't bleeding. Sometimes it feel like my toe done fell off. But we, we, we attend to it naturally. And that's what our body does. So... If we can understand that in our body, think about when there's something going on mentally. How does that impact your well-being? What do you do for that? And um, so in therapy, there's something that we call a biopsychosocial spiritual assessment um, within the first few times of um, therapy in which we're having an assessment with you all. I saw a couple faces. A biopsychosocial spiritual perspective. I saw, saw y'all out there. So uh, I'm going to break that down. Uh, and, and what I wanted to do, I wanted to use actual data from uh, different places, the CDC, the National Inst Institute of Health, the uh, Internal Society of Traumatic S Stress Studies. So when it comes down to trauma, physically, the CDC states that conditions linked to trauma exposure includes chronic lung and heart disease, liver disease, viral hepatitis, and liver cancer autoimmune diseases, sexually transmitted infections, and depression, and other mental health conditions. This is all from trauma. Trauma can impact your body physically in that way. The National Institute of Health says psychologically, you may have delayed responses to trauma can include persistent fatigue, sleep disorders, nightmares, fear recurrence, anxiety focused on flashbacks, Depression and avoidance of emotions, sensations, or activities that are associated with trauma even remotely. So all of those things can happen psychologically. When you think about mentally, emotionally, relationally, the International Society of, of Traumatic Stress Studies says that uh, this may result in expectations of danger, betrayal, or potential harm with new or old relationships. Survivors may feel vulnerable and confused about what is safe, and therefore it may be difficult to trust others, even those whom they trusted in the past. It may feel frightening to get close to people for fear of being hurt in an unsafe world. Or people may feel angry at their helplessness and the loss of control in their lives and become aggressive or try to control others. Anger and aggression may also arise because after traumatic experiences, a person may feel threatened very easily. This defensive aggression is a natural reaction for a person who feels threatened. 
So that's mentally, emotionally, in your relationships. We, have, we can't trust people. We get upset. I got to get you first. If I think you're going to get me, I'm going to get you first. You ain't gonna worry, we ain't got to worry about that. If there's an issue and I think that it's going around, we're going to cut it off. I'm going to cut people off real quick. I ain't got time for it. I'm going to leave. Those are traumatic expressions based upon what's happened within your life. And uh, spiritually, the National Center of PTSD and National Institute of Health says, given that trauma often leads to a need to finding to find meaning, and the spirituality often provides such a meaning system in people's life, it follows that trauma can introduce a need to reconcile difficult events with beliefs. But also, spiritual discontent has been related to higher levels of depression, suicide, uh, suicidality, and PTS systems in a variety of trauma samples. That's those those those, those when it, church growing up in the church for me. I grew up in the church. Um, when situations happen as a child, sometimes we often ask God, why? Why me? Does God even love me? Why is my life not like everybody else's? And I, and I really appreciate you even expressing this before I got to this point that this is part of, the, this is part of our journey as Christians. Like uh, I was telling her earlier, like, you know, the scripture says, take up your cross and follow me. Where did Jesus go with his cross? Do you think that was an easy journey? Do you think that was, do you think he just, do, 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 I'm going to take my cross? No, it's work. You're going to sacrifice. Like, he went to sacrifice with us. Black Americans, I know they say, okay, there's the oil food, the salt, too much salt or whatever. They, many of them also have high blood pressure from trauma. You know, diabetes from trauma, heart problem from trauma. You know, you just realize that you're taking the medication, but it's not working. You know, um, I know my mom wasn't feeling so well a couple of weeks ago. And when she went to meet the doctor, the doctor was like, you need to calm down. You're stressed. That was the only, that was the problem. There was nothing else. It was just stress. And every time she would use the medication and not rest, the medication would force her to rest. So she's not even functional. So they had to find something to force her to rest. You know, and so... Whenever we don't go through this healing process, there's so many damages. Even the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 13, it says that even when your heart is sick, it affects your spirit. You know, and he said it very, very, very like spiritual discontent is number one. <laughs> Let's be honest among Christians. Yes, we go through other things, but when God did not come through the way he said he was going to come through, we don't acknowledge that to our hearts are actually broken. We just say, let his will be done. But let's be honest, your heart is broken. And we will talk about that. Amen. And so because of time, I'm going to move real quick. Um, um, I want to talk about where that healing should start from. And many a times, whenever we have any of this, I'll, put, I'll just use the word symptoms, and that is you're having the negative thoughts. You're having that word in your head that tells you you're not good enough. We rush to the scripture that says putting every thought into captivity. And so we keep putting it into captivity and the captivity is getting full of different thoughts. We keep just keeping it and keeping it. But we don't realize that your heart populates your mind. And the first place of healing should be the heart. And I want to, I want to go through scripture real quick. And we're going to talk about, and we'll use that to close because of our time. And I want us to go through to Genesis 1, 11, um, and 12. 
Genesis 1, 11 and 12. The Bible says, and God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants, plants yielding seed and fruit trees yielding fruit whose seed is in itself, each according to its kind upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plant yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which was their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw it, and it was good, suitable, admirable, and he approved it. Take me to Genesis 3, 17 to 18. Just follow me, guys. I'm going somewhere. Genesis 3, 17 to 18. And the Bible says, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, Whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. 18 says, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you. And though you will eat of its grains. Take me to Matthew 13, verse 6 to 7. Amplify classic. Thank you. 6 to 7, not 21. And the Bible says, and when the sun rose, they were scorched, and because they had no roots, they dried up and withered away. The other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. 21 and 22. About how God was creating plants. is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him, whom he ought to trust and obey, and he falls away. And for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the pleasure and the delight and the glamour and deceitfulness of riches choke and suffocate the word and it yields no fruit. I have one more scripture, but before I go there, I want, I want to give us context. In Genesis um, 1, the Bible talked about how God was creating plants. And he said he spoke to the soil and they started to bring different kinds of fruit. And the Bible said he looked upon that ground and he said it was good. But then Genesis 2 comes in and man falls. And so God does not just, you know, have, there's not, there's also not just repercussion for the man and the woman. The ground now has to also bring out thorns. This was not on the plan in Genesis 1. But now in Genesis 2, um, Genesis 3, sorry, because of the curse, there are thorns. And it takes us to the parable of the sower. And the Bible says whenever this seed would come, there's some ground that we're hard. There's some ground that we're bringing out thorns. And so because every time the word would come, the encouragement, the right things, the things that should encourage us would come, the ground is already full of thorns. And so it chokes that word. But that was not the initial intention of the soil. The soil was only supposed to bring forth fruit-bearing you know, um, trees, seeds and plants, beautiful things, but now it's bringing out thorns. The last, my last Bible verse, Matthew 27, 29, this was the part that crowns everything for me. The Bible says, and weaven a crown of thorns. So this tells me that Jesus took those thorns that were coming out of the ground and said, I'm going to take it to the cross with me. I'm going to die with it so that you don't have to deal with it. And so I'm going to take it back to what it was in Genesis 1, when the soil was supposed to bring forth fruits that was yielding trees, bring out seed that should multiply. Let's not forget that when they were talking about the parable of the sower, the ground was your heart. The ground was the heart. And the intention of the heart in Genesis 1, because remember, we're formed from the earth. The intention in Genesis 1 was that it should be fruit. It should yield good seed. But because of the fall, thorns decided to add to it. 
But the end of it tells me that the, Jesus took that crown of thorns on his head and died with it. And so that's telling me that my heart is not supposed to allow thorns around it. That means something is wrong somewhere. Because if he has died with it, why is it that when that, those words that God is speaking to me, the cares and the worries of this word is still choking it? Because we don't address the heart when we go through issues. We're ready to, you know, get the mind work done, but we're not ready to do the heart work. Yeah. The heart is where it's broken the most. And I was gonna, I'm going to say something. I don't know if Peter remembers this. Last year, I was going through something really difficult. And I remember sitting in this office, in this building, and I told him, I said, God broke my heart. And many a times you hear that and you think, oh my God. But let's be honest. How many expectations have you waited for and did not come to pass? And have you gone back to God to acknowledge that God, this thing actually hurts? Have we gone back to God to say, my heart is broken? That's what the healing has to happen. That's what populates your mind. Not the thoughts in your head did not just come from nowhere. It came from the condition of your heart. If you see a pathway, for many of us that go to the park, and I'm going to lead me to my question, you will see a pathway. Um, there, there's some pathway in the park that was formed by feet. So people just pass through it, pass through it, pass through it, pass through it. Some of us, that's our heart. The first time the person stomped on your heart, the tree tried to grow, but the next person, you didn't go through the healing, stomped again. The third person, you didn't go through the process, stomped again. And then all of a sudden, your soil is so hard that nothing can go, go roots in it. Because you don't, you don't let that ground heal again. You don't let the heart go through the, the process of forming, you know, forming again. You're ready to go into the next relationship. You're too lonely. You want someone to be talking to you. But the last person just broke your heart and then it stomped on it again. You didn't, go, you didn't, you didn't heal from your parental trauma. And then you're ready to, oh, my, my father wasn't there, my mother wasn't there, my next boyfriend will be my father. And so, this is my question. That's how she want to leave. <laughs> it wasn't my intention. I promise you. Why do we rush to the mind and rush to renew in our minds? And neglect the state of our heart. So there's, so that's a two part. I, there, there's two different scenarios from that. Um, first, I'm gonna go with the. I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a stick to the text. So um, we were talking about the weed and the tear, the parable. The farmer said we have to wait for the maturation stage in order for us to be able to pull those tears out of the ground. Um, so waiting for the maturation stage, what does that mean? In, in a therapeutic real term. We have to wait for a safe environment. Sometimes growing through that trauma, sometimes experiencing that trauma, it's not safe for us to be able to try to assess it because we may be under the ruling of someone we can't get ourselves away from. We may be under the guise of some things. We may be trapped in the situation. So therefore, it's going to take time. We have to let this go through. What's the second part that you have to do when you uh, deal with tears and you got to dig up the soil. What is the soil? The soil is years of roots that have dug deep. 
trauma that dug deep into the fabrics of our life, possibly shaping who we are. Some of us have become successful based upon those traumatic responses to manipulation, emotional abuse, torment, and pain. So digging up that soil is vulnerable. It's going to take so much work. And for some, the thought of doing that in the midst of life, in the midst of having children, in the midst of having bills, in the midst of doing so much trying to survive out here, that's a lot of work and that's scary. So I feel like sometimes we, we avoid, we just want just to fix it. We just want to get to it because of the work that it takes. Digging up that soil is a scary thing, and I want to let y'all know it is scary. It is. And, but the work and the reward that comes after that is such a freeing and rewarding experience because we get to burn those tears. We get to pull the good fruit. We get to pull the good weeds and continue to move life together. So that's one part of, of why we run. The second part is a little bit lighter. So I remember when I was in college, um, check this out. I joined this group that, uh, that said, if I can get three people to follow me, I'll be financially free. <laughs> and if they get three people to follow them, I get a little bit of piece of their money, and I'll be even more financially free. But it's not a pyramid scheme, y'all. It's not a pyramid scheme. Uh, it's just, just if you get three people and then they get three people and they get three people and they, then we good. We, we, we financially free. And <laughs> I say that to say because in life we want things easy. We want to get through things. We want to be able to make money fast. You see all these ads that say, hey, if you click this link right here and you just deposit us $300, you'll be able to make $1,000 every month and you'll be the six figures in the next six months. We want things like this. That's what society tells us. Everything got to be fast. Everything got to be given to us instantly. I want to lose weight. What I want to do, let me go drink some timid, some tea, timid, some tuck tummy, timid tea. Let me put on this body shaper and let me look good in three months. But guess what? This weight right here did not take three months to get on. <laughs> it Amen. took decades to get on. So the expectation, how do I expect to drop all this weight? How do I expect to get all this money? This fast went, it took me that much longer to get into the situation. It took me that much longer to get the weight. It took me that much longer to get in debt. It takes work. <laughs> you got to work. And we don't want to work. And, and not saying that we as a generation are lazy or anything. This is what society tells us, that everything should be fast. We go to McDonald's, our food should be ready in 30 seconds. If the food is longer than that, what is taking us so long? What are they doing in there? My God, like what is going on? Like, why, isn't, why am I not getting it this fast? That's what society teaches us, and that's what we ingrain in our own life when we're working, when we're moving. We think that everything should just be quick, but it's going to take time, and it's going to take work to get through it. Okay. Oh, wow. That's real. That's real. It takes time, you know, and I'll just add one more thing to that. A lot of us, we're avoiding feeling those feelings. Yeah. We think emotions is a sign of weakness. Yeah. We, they've told us over and over, especially for the guys, you should not cry. That means you're weak. You know, and even when we come and we cry in worship, just want to, it's good. Good thinking. But you, you don't know that yes, is a sign of something else, but I'm in worship. <laughs> you know, and just looking through the life of Jesus. Remember, we're modeling after Jesus. Every time Jesus showed emotion, power followed. 
Bible says Jesus wept in John 11:35, and right after that, he raised up Lazarus. When Jesus cried in the garden of Gethsemane, Bible says when he came out of there in Luke, the people that came to arrest him, he spoke a word and they all fell. When Jesus was angry in the temple and was saying, this my house will be a house of prayer. Right after that, the Bible said, and he was healing people. Why are we running away from feeling the feelings that we're feeling? Why are we running away? Why are we keeping it inside? Why are we coming to God asking instead of healing? We are so, whenever we come to the place of prayer, we come with a list of questions to ask. So this is what has been going on, God. It's almost like, it's like okay, so this happened. I need to know why. Then this needs to make sense. And God is just asking you, come, let me heal your heart. Come and cry. Come and tell me, because I know. You know one thing that we, we, we take this same avoidance that we do with the world and we take it to God. And so we get to the place of prayer and we say, if God doesn't talk about it, and I don't talk about it, then it never happened. Well, God is not going to talk about it because it happened to you, not him. He will expect you to come to the place of prayer and say, I am dying. Be honest with how you're feeling. There's nothing wrong in showing emotions. From that emotion, you cannot find out, okay, why am I angry about this? Why am I sad about this? Why is this, why is this, why is this so much for me? What is going on? And then together, in the midst of tears, you navigate it. And this is my final um, question because we're way over our time. And I want us to talk about Jesus and therapy. Because many a times, we believe we can pray it all away. I can pray it away. There are the prayers in the scripture that will just, if I speak to the depression, it's a spirit. I don't disagree. I can pray it away. But when we have a headache or a fever, the ibuprofen, you know where it is. You don't go, I speak to the spirit of fever. But you go, I speak to the spirit of depression. Please, health and health, what's the difference? But there's nothing wrong with hyperproofing. Because I will take it with one hand and I'll pray with the other hand. Or I'll speak in tongues on the way to the therapist's office and say, God, give her the right words to say. And so I want us to talk about how does Jesus and therapy marry? So when you think about the word, there's a lot that is intertwined with it. I mean, at the end of the day, Therapy is focused on health, mental health. Therapy is focused on having peace. Therapy is focused on ensuring that you're living a full life, that you're getting all that you can out of life, and that you're allowing others to help you get to that point. When it comes down to Christ, that's what Christ is all about. Like, Christ is all about helping us. Christ is all about getting us to a point of peace in him. Allowing us to cast all our cares unto him. These are all things that Christ stands for. So when it comes down to therapy, it's the same concept. And for me personally, um, when, I, when I think about my life, when I think about my professional goal, or my professional um, tenure, I don't consider myself, I don't label myself as a Christian therapist. I label myself as a therapist who is Christian. 
and that may sound the same, but there's there's a difference in that because at times people connect trauma to certain areas and sectors. So even in the church, there's trauma. Even in the church with 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 a title as such, there's trauma connected to that. But God calls us or calls me as a Christian to walk and to be the light of the world. So therefore, when I'm in the room, God is in the room because God is in me. Before I do anything, I pray. Before I speak to my my clients, I pray. Before I came up here today, I pray. I allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to move in me because I am called to do that as a Christian, as God, and I allow his light to shine in how I speak to others. In my daily walk, I allow people to see me as that. So I encourage you, even when you're thinking about therapy, don't think of it as a separate sector. Think of it as an opportunity for God to show himself. Like, like she said, ask God to speak to you in the midst of it. Ask, ooh, come on now. Ask God to, to tell me how I felt. Now, ask God, really ask God to allow your therapist, if you're interested in seeking it, to help you and move you in that way. So that's how I correlate it. Like, I don't, I, I, I consider myself a child of God. I consider myself a representation of him. So even when I'm in, in the room, he is here as well, and he is pouring out of me. That is real. Come on, celebrate that answer. You know, that is that is honestly real. Um, I've been in therapy since 2019. And honestly, shout out to Dr. Yeni because, yeah, she was the one that connected me to my therapist. Um, and with the things I've been through in life, the fact that I'm sitting up here, shout out to therapy. Honestly, shout out to therapy. Yes. My therapist is as Christian as it gets, so sometimes she'll be sending me back to the scripture and say, what did the scripture say about this? Because obviously she knows that I'm also a Christian. I'm sure she'll have other clients that she's like, okay, maybe they don't believe in that and she knows how to work it. But I married Jesus and therapy, you know? And so as Jesus is strengthening the words that has been spoken, softening my heart to be able to receive it, I'm able to go through the process of healing. And so I don't know if we have any... Um, questions um, we have to do because of our time. We can take maybe one um, because there's also an exercise that uh, we have that we want to do real quick and then we'll you know, close out today. I hope we have learned something. I want to believe we've learned something today. Yes or yes? yes. All right. Um, do we have any? Let me see. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, okay, I'm just going to do one. <laughs> and then uh, the last Sunday is just Q&A, and then we'll bring everything. Just write it down so you don't forget. We also have all of this as well. I'm getting a lot of how do you find the right therapist. Um, I want to answer the first one. Okay, okay. Right. I can answer that real quick. So um, how to find the right therapist. So one thing that I like to utilize is uh, I tell clients, date your therapist. When you go out on a date, what, are you, what is your goals? What, what should your goals be? I don't know some of y'all might have goals. But your goals should be to get to know that person, to really understand that person, to see if you want to go further with them. It's the same concept with therapy. Date your therapist. Just... Go ask, talk, 
catch the vibes. If you if you ain't feeling the vibe, it's okay. Because it ain't gonna hurt, it's not gonna hurt your therapist's feeling if you say, you know what, I don't think this is gonna work out. Do you have any recommendations? Or go to psychology today and find another therapist. But the answer that date your therapist, take time to get to know them, ask questions, and if you're catching a vibe and, and they're moving forward, continue to move forward with them. That's good, that's good, that's good. They your therapist, then just don't, the first therapist is, I'm, I'm scared to tell them, no. If you don't like it, find another one. It's your healing and it's your money. That part is your money. All right, I, I, I'm, I have this one and I want to answer it um, and then we'll go into the exercise that we have real quick. It says, I have a sibling who does not believe in God and she's going through a mental health issue right now. I want to help her although, although she doesn't um, believe in God. Is healing and spirituality separate? Um, the first thing you do for anyone who you believe is going through any mental health issue is to pray for them. Um, so funny that this question is happening because as we're worshiping, the Holy Spirit gave me a very vivid picture, and I mentioned it, of someone who is literally delivered from death even before they came into salvation. And that is the kind of God that we serve. Believe him or not, he loves you. Believe him or not, he still died for you. I, I can count the amount of times that I know that it was just mercy that spoke for me. That I've walked so away, and I'm like, God, this thing that me and you are doing, I don't want to do it again. I'm just going to do my thing, and you do your thing. But even when I'm doing my thing, the hand of mercy still speaks. And so the first thing you really should do is pray for them. Ask that the hand of mercy be raised upon them. They would find God the way God wants them to, to find him. There was no preaching that could bring Paul, Saul, to Christ. Because he had knowledge, but he needed an encounter. You pray for an encounter. You pray for an encounter. But keep praying for them. Healing and spirituality, God heals. That's it. God heals. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but just really pray for them. Pray that they find God and pray that God heals them. For many a times, Bible, Jesus said, he said, for some, until they see signs, they would not believe. Someone, there's some people that until they see a visible sign, they won't believe. So why don't you pray that God make me the sign that they see? Yeah, the only thing, uh, amen to that, absolutely. Um, the only thing I want to add to that is continue to be that safe space for them. When you're dealing with people who have mental issues, a lot of us naturally, we kind of shy away. We want to move away because it's a lot, and it's a lot to deal with, and I completely understand that. But if you have the capacity to stay there, pray with them, pray for them, and sometimes silence is the best possibility. When you think about Job and, and when he was going through what he went through, his friends, before they said something, the first thing they did was come and sit with him and allow him to grieve. And that physical presence could be what they may need in that season because when I expressed myself when I was upset when I had mental issues with somebody else they shied away from me they left me everybody left me but the fact that you stayed there the fact that you sat with me and allowed me that space could open their heart up even more to hearing what you have to say to hearing how you pour into them that's good that's good alright so we have an he has an exercise not we he 
<laughs> as an exercise. Put this on me. Yes. Um, for you. So please, can we have the slides that I sent? Um, and this is going to be a QR code. And then he's going to explain. All right, y'all. So um, this might be a little tough. So that's why she made sure she let it know it was me. So it's coming from me. Uh, this is called the Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire. Uh, ACES. This is a simple um, 10 questions that you answer, and based upon your specific uh, point system, it'll provide you with the level of trauma. So what? So the, the first question is, um, oh, and see, I started reading it already, yeah. It get a little deep. So um, the ACES childhood point system is a scoring method used to, oh. Please, guys, let's be sensitive. Let's not forget. I know we're getting a little excited, but let's be safe, and let's be what? Let's be what? Oh, I, I think I'm the only one. Let's be what? Thank you. Yeah, so um, the ACES Childhood Trauma Point System is a scoring method used to assess the cumulative impact of adverse childhood experiences on an individual's life. The ACES questionnaire consists of 10 categories, I mean, of 10 questions um, of childhood adversities, each assigned a score of one point. The points are then tallied, resulting in an overall A score ranging from 0 to 10, reflecting the numbers of different adverse experiences a person has encountered during the formative years. Um, so to save for time, I, at first we were going to read through the questions, but I, I would rather have you all fill the questions out. But while you all do that, uh, I can break down the, um, the point system. So there's um, the first one is household dysfunction which emotional and physical neglect gets one point, substance abuse gets one point, mental illness gets one point, and domestic violence gets one point. The second part is abuse. Emotional abuse uh, gets one point. Physical abuse and sexual abuse both get one point. The third one is neglect. Emotional and physical neglect also gets one point. The cumulative score serves as an indicator of the individual's exposure to childhood trauma. Research has shown a correlation between higher ACE scores and increased risk of various health issues, including mental health challenges, substance abuse, chronic illness later in life. The ACEs point system is valuable in understanding the potential long-term effects. All right, so we're going to go with the points now because this is what y'all want to know. After I take this 10-point question, um, where do I fall on the point system? So anyone in here who scores four or more are considered clinically significant. What does clinically significant mean? That means that there's significant amount of trauma that has happened in your life as a child. A minority of the general population scores four or more. So where the general long-term health consequences become uh, pronounced. So the, um, the notes say that compared with people who have an A score of zero, people with the A score of four are twice as likely to become smokers, five times more likely to have depression, seven times more likely to be alcoholic, 10 times more likely to take illicit drugs, and 12 times more likely to attempt suicide. So I say these things not to, not to scare anyone, not to, not to uh, have any issues. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're talking about, well, y'all better follow. I appreciate y'all for that. Um, 
I, I, I say these things. This is not a point to try to scare anyone to try to, you know, let you all know. But it's important for us to understand where we are. We literally just talked about the very first thing is recognizing the trauma and the importance and the significance of it. We talked about how it affects the biopsychosocial, spiritual aspect of your life. We talked about how impactful it is to be able to unpack these things and be able to work and getting these things uh, taken care of. So, though, so that's the significance of this. And the last part is let's take action. If you find this questionnaire helpful and impactful, I encourage you to reach out to myself uh, so we can begin the journey of healing. And, and once again, it doesn't have to be with me. So even if you want to take the step and find someone, I'm, your, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you the best way that I can. So even if you don't want to work with me, I will find the tools to be able to provide someone that could possibly provide help. Um, at the end of the questionnaire, I believe uh, I, I left a space for anybody who would like to leave uh, their contact information to uh, allow me to reach out. If you have any type of uh, issues, if you score, if your score is high, and you just want to unpack it a little bit more. I'm more than willing to talk with you as a uh, a free uh, as part of your free consultation. I could talk to you about your score, and then we can continue to move forward from there. But um, Taking time to address childhood trauma is a significant step in the right direction towards rooting up the first issues experienced in life and helping mitigate the tears that we all grew up with. Thank you for tuning into the Gap Church podcast. We hope this message blessed you. If you made that choice to give your life to Christ, congratulations. We celebrate you. Don't forget to text SAVE to 817-381-5353. Again, text SAVE to 817-381-5353. Thank you so much and have a blessed week.